Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life. We are convinced that the Bible is God's holy word, perfect and without error. Its perfection delivers what is good and beneficial for those who hear it and heed it. It is perfect for it leads us to the perfect one, the Lord Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let us seek him together through God's word. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Three of my children have had their first child in the past year. Each of them predictably is expressing ideas that I know will quickly be dismissed. I don't need to say anything otherwise, but they seem to think that their baby is perfect. My wife and I thought the same thing once of a little wee child we held in our arms. Time proved otherwise. We discovered that the apples had not fallen far from the tree. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it's not a parental mesmerized sigh of imagined perfection that we hear, but the accurate appraisal of the angel introducing the baby Jesus' birth to Mary. The angel called that baby that holy thing, and time proved him right. The verse that I want us to look at is verse 35 of Luke chapter 1. Actually, I just want to look at three words. Here is a word for the child that Mary is going to be carrying in her womb that shortly she will be holding in her arms and nursing at her side. And it's a rather shocking word. It's a word of description that is offered for this child and no other child, no other child prior, no other child after has ever been described in this way. The angel describes the child this way. That holy thing. That holy thing. When we parents first received our babies, we celebrated their beauty and their vivacity. It was such a jubilant moment. Actually, as I was thinking about it this morning, there are a number of you that have children here that we prayed that child right through the mother's pregnancy. We prayed all the way through protection and safety and childbearing. We prayed for some before they were conceived. Oh, God, grant to that home a child. And God sent it. We have a couple that's not able to be here this morning. Their son was born prematurely, Samuel. They're very guarded and protecting him from getting sick over the first little while, the first few months. He's just been able to return back home. But do you know, the father had visited with me back last February. They had been attending our church for a little over a year. And we spent some time together. And I said, listen, if there's anything that we could begin praying, what would you like us to be praying for? And Josh said, well, you know, We've been married for some years, and we've, we've never been able to get pregnant. And so I would like it if you would pray that we could have a baby. I said, Josh, that's what, you know what? Starting today, that's what I'm going to pray for. Every time I think of you, I'm going to pray that you conceive and have a child. Well, you know, it was just a little bit, of, a little bit about a month and a half after that that Jen grabbed my arm when I was walking out the church and said, uh, by the way, you don't need to pray anymore. You can stop your praying. That's happened for a lot of you. We've prayed for... That day that God would give you a child, we've prayed through the, that period of time in which that baby was gestating and growing in the mother's womb. We've prayed for a safe delivery. We've rejoiced over the birth of that child. It's a wonderful thing when we hold that little baby in our hands. They're so beautiful. They seem to be quivering with life. There's a spark of innocence about them. When we hold them in our arms, we can imagine that that little child is the one little child that has the potential for perfection. We can let our minds for a moment begin to believe that this will be the wonder boy or the wonder girl that the world has been waiting for. 
it will only take a very short time before we discover that that little cry that that baby is offering up in such a quivering voice has a tremendous and powerful temper behind it. (laughs) It won't be long before we'll start seeing that they're quickly learning the ropes of selfishness and deceit. You know, we love them. We love watching them as they grew, but as they grew, we quickly began to see that we had among us little liars and little thieves. Look at our firstborn, and oh boy, we thought he was a special little guy, but we still remember some of his first lies. I won't tell you his first lie, maybe a little bit later on, but I'll tell you a second. Uh, We had told him not to get into the cookies. He had been asking for them. We said, certainly not. All of a sudden, sometime later, we noticed the house was quiet. We couldn't find him. We were looking around for him. We came into the family room, and we had a chair that was sitting up kind of high. There was no covering on the base of it, so you could see through it to the back side of the chair. And on the back side of the chair, we could see, facing away from the back of the chair, two little legs standing behind the chair. And we were calling the name of this little boy, John Barry. John Barry, John Barry, where are you, John Barry? He wasn't answering. Finally, after calling for some time, he popped out from behind the chair saying, Here I am. And he had chocolate all over his hands and all over his face. John Barry did you get into the cookies that mom said you couldn't have? No, I didn't get into it. Did you eat the cookies? No, I... Well, there the vision of perfection was totally put to rest. (laughs) You know, the wonder boy was no longer quite so wonderful. You know, we actually expect this development into the deviances of selfishness to take place in our children. And if they don't take place, we would begin to think that they were intellectually and emotionally delayed. It was a concern for us to see our little boy, Jack Henry, so sweet, such a wonderful child, but many of the instincts that draw out sin in his life weren't evident. It was a concern for us. We wanted to see him begin to express things that would reveal to us that actually he was growing and developing. And on one occasion, one of his sisters was so annoying him, so annoying him that he rushed at her and dove at her with both fingers, seeking to gouge her eyes out. I caught him in midair. And we laughed hysterically because to us it was a sign of development. It was sin, of course. It wasn't good, but still. It was a sign that our child was somehow progressing into the current of humanity. That's what happens with our children. It's what they are and it's what we are. And so that's the reason why no other baby born to us but one, as beautiful as they are, is called that holy thing, just the baby Jesus. Let me just pause here and we'll make this our first point. Jesus was and is that holy thing. Jesus was and is that holy thing. When Jesus was born to his mother, there was a label that had been placed upon her. She had conceived him in everybody else's mind. Well, she had conceived him out of wedlock. It was a mark against her and it was a mark against her son. That holy impulse, though, that began to rise up in the Lord Jesus, those expressions of undeniable purity that began to emanate from his life became so overwhelming that all who watched him grow, even the neighbors who could and knew all the whispered stories and accusations of Mary and the whispered story of that bastard boy as they watched his life, they couldn't help but be influenced and impressed and drawn by what they saw there. They saw him in 
Ultimately, they drew this conclusion. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 tells us of what the conclusion was that they drew. It, it ends out the story of Jesus' childhood, saying that Jesus grew, and as he grew, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. With all those other individuals, this little baby whose mother seemed to have a, seemed, you know, a story to be told that was not right, and they could look down upon her, This little boy whose life would have been marred, marred by such an accusation as they were in that day, now now was one who had the favor of all men upon him because they could not deny what they saw in his life, a recognizable expression of holiness. The conclusion drawn is brought to its fullness in Luke chapter 12, verse 27, a rather surprising verse to find in our Bibles. The Lord Jesus is teaching. He's just recently cast out a demon. He's expressing the reality that all that He does, He does by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as He is defending Himself and speaking for the divine working of God through His life and His ministry, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice, and she said to Him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the breast from which you have nursed. The story of Mary has changed. Now she is no longer that whispered thing because she is the mother who has bore this wonderful child. And as a result, she is blessed. Her very life, her very body is blessed because he is something unexplainably holy. The initial judgment on Jesus and on his mother Mary has changed because of the words of the angel were true. That holy thing has come to us. All the expected turns into sin that every child will one day make were missed by this child. We see the decision points with our children. We see the opportunities for them to go forward into the truth or go out into a lie. We see the opportunity for them to go forward into selflessness or to go forward into selfishness, and we see the turns that they make. We see the roads that they take, but this child never took any of them. Our children grow to quickly manifest some odd or unexplainable behavior. You know, we scratch our heads, we search for some point of reference for understanding why it is that they're behaving that way. We say to our spouse, I don't know where this came from. It must be from your side of the family. (laughs) Joseph and Mary never scratched their heads. This was never a conundrum for them when they looked into the life of the Lord Jesus. James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and all of the Lord Jesus' other sisters, they were all going to be lectured by their parents on topics like holding their tongues, on being kind to one another, on the importance of telling the truth, on watching out for pride. They were reprimanded for selfishness and Oh, the abundance of lectures that were theirs, but none of these ever came up with Jesus. He was that holy thing, inexplicable. You'll have to only imagine it because, folks, you've never, you've never seen it. Let me give you an explanation for this holiness and an explanation for our sinfulness. This will take us a little further into God's Word. Theologians have attempted to try to trace back where the sin nature comes into our lives. There's some debate about it, and it swirls around, and you can get your various long theological treatises and crack the books to find out what the various opinions are. 
but I'll share with you the one that I find the most appealing, and I'll lay it out before you. How it is that sin has been passed on from one generation to the next generation to the next. There are a number of theologians who have determined that this pathway of sin can be traced all the way back to Adam, but not to Eve. It's from Adam that we get the sin nature. He passes it on to us. And by the way, the Bible blames Adam. The Bible blames Adam for your sin nature. And the question is, why is Adam blamed and not Eve? You'll read in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, an example of this. There, Paul writes, Sin came into the world through one man, one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 19 says, By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Again, you can go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, and you'll see this blame upon Adam's heaping up. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die. The sentence of death came on us, not through Eve, but through Adam. He's getting all the blame. Adam set off, and his sin set off a chain reaction of sin to sin to sin that went from child to child to child. A nature that is come down upon all of us. The theologians have read these different passages of Scripture and determined that in some way, although it's a mystery, the sin nature is seminally set forward from father to child. That the connection is through the father's seed. This child, born not of human seed, but born wholly of the Holy Spirit, can be born in us and raise up in us his own holy life. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like a copy of this message, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you and Merry Christmas.